The contents discussed in this episode may be disturbing or or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is highly advised for this episode. Hey everyone and welcome to the first ever Anonymous Hour. I have an incredible special guest who I have known from my past growing up, an incredible man who works in corrections. So great having you on the show today. Thank you, bro. Thank you for having me. Um, this is my first podcast as well, so I'm interested to see, you know, what we get into. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so so run me through a first day on the job type of scenario because a number of number of officers that I've known, you know, just simply in the field of pulling people over and, you know, working in that line of the police force, they have a lot of stories that have happened, you know, right away right away in the line of duty and things of that sort. So was, was it really, really intense when you walked into it the first time? Um, so my first day, um, started about a year ago. Uh, I've been in here about one year. Um, and it's a local county, um, correctional facility. So it's a sheriff's office. Um, it's a lot different than Michigan department of corrections, um, which is the, uh, prisons. Um, I would say my first experience was when I did my observation that was uh, a couple months before I hired in um, and I saw some crazy stuff that day just even in my two days that I did my observations um, one of which included I saw a uh, my first use of force um, and I was able to see how how they subdued someone who was acting erotic and that was my first experience with someone with severe mental health issues who i was able to see like how they actually reacted in an environment like that um so i would say my first crazy thing that i saw during my first day of observation was someone who got um pepper balled which is a it's like a co2 powered uh basically paintball gun, but it's, um, it's like this highly, highly, um, what do you call it? It's like basically pepper spray just exploding. Um, and I was able to witness that there was this dude that was, uh, not coming out of his, we have these cells called, uh, behavior, like behavior modification cells. And it's for people who are, you know, problem childs, uh, in the jail. Um, I don't know, people with so many issues, people get into fights, uh, mental health issues, you throw them in there um, a lot of times so they can't hurt other people. <clears throat> and this dude wouldn't come out of his cell, um, so they I was able to witness this pepper ball gun uh, being used. Um, basically, they, they blasted like two rounds, didn't even hit him, just hit the wall above him. And I mean, this stuff like just saturates everything. It is, you can't see you can't breathe. Um, and this was us standing outside of the cell. Like I wasn't even in there because I was an observer at the time. So like I was as far away as this could be with still being able to watch. And I remember not being able to see or breathe. Um, I mean, snot just running down my face. So I could only imagine what it was like in there. And this person had a severe mental health issue, obviously, because This stuff didn't affect him at all, not even an ounce. 
all the officers uh, on scene, everyone, me included, all coughing our asses off, just freaking dying in there. Um, and this guy's just, come on, bring it on. I want more. I want more. Give me more. I'm trying to catch another charge. Let's go. And uh, then they cell extracted him. So they got the, basically, it's like this riot shield uh, group group of them went in there, about five of them, and extracted them. Then they threw them in the restraint chair. Um, so that was my first time seeing the restraint chair getting used, which is, that'll break someone in a couple hours. It's pretty cool. Because uh, after he got out, of, after the two hours was up, you have to legally, when they're in some sort of restraint, um, per MDOC guidelines, you have to, after two hours, let them, they can still be handcuffed, so still restrained in some way, but they have to get up, wiggle their toes, you know, kind of walk around for a second, and then if they're still being an asshole, you throw them back in there. But he was, he was broke after an hour and a half, but that was my first experience with someone uh, with, like, severe mental health issues, so. Wow. Yeah, that, again, in my studies with... <clears throat> You know, like ancient historical torture and stuff like that of course that's not exactly what you guys are intending to do you're like you're not sitting there like let's torture these inmates so they follow commands like that's not exactly what you're trying to do but i mean it does kind of remind me of uh one form of torture from the middle ages it was where you had to you had to like sit on this weird shaped seat that was kind of like uh it was kind of like a that thing you put on a horse when you ride a horse, but it was like shaped weird. And you like, we're, you, you're basically sitting there and you can't move. And it like eventually like messes with your muscles and destroys everything essentially. Like it does kind of remind me of that type of instance, but like you don't, so you can't legally like keep them restrained like that and is what you're saying. Like you, you have to mm -hmm. let them move a little bit because won't it, completely destroy muscles then or it'll it'll like i believe it is yeah i believe it's like in a an asphyxiation type of thing so uh we also have this other cool thing called the wrap um and this is all to control behavior um like if they're being erotic assaultive to staff fighting with us that's when we'll put them in these things um we're kind of getting away from the restraint chair it's kind of like an older method there's this really new uh cool uh cool thing we have it's called the wrap and it basically wraps them up like a burrito um and then they get thrown in like this uh almost hammock chair for example we've really been utilizing that a lot um it just seems to work better we can get them on the ground like we can put them in the wrap while they're like on their stomach handcuffed behind the back with you know four or five deputies holding them down so they can't hurt themselves where you start taking someone, someone who's been assaultive um, towards staff, you start taking them over to where the restraint chair is. They see that restraint chair and they're immediately going to be even more resistive. Um, just just all sorts of resistance once they see that restraint chair where they know they're being assaultive towards staff. So they're handcuffed, put them on the ground. All they, all they know is they're on the ground with, you know, multiple deputies holding them down. And then... All of a sudden, now you get the wrap all set up, you bring it out, 
wrap up their, uh, you, there's like an ankle strap, so you cross their ankles, then you throw the like leg portion of the wrap on, um, and then before you know it, I mean, they can't, they can't do anything at all, and there's, they had no idea it was coming, so that works better, and like I said, if they're being an ass, you just throw them right back into it once you give them that two hours of, you know, circulation, time to, you know, kind of wiggle their hands, or wiggle their fingers, wiggle their toes, move their legs a little bit which is pretty cool, but. Yeah, so so I think I did see something uh, on Facebook where you did jiu-jitsu, is that right, for the training? Was that was that just out of, like, you feel like doing jiu-jitsu to go into it, or isn't that, like, required? Or, and what's a situation where you used jiu-jitsu? So one thing um, that corrections slash law enforcement lack um, and I'll be the first to say it is um, defensive tactics training um, I figured coming not coming from a law enforcement or corrections background I figured I'd come in we'd have training you know monthly right stuff so when we get into situations where we need to use force or control tactics it's like second nature uh, muscle memory fuck no it is i think we're only required eight hours a year of department wide like physical or not even physical training it's just like dt stuff right defensive tactics um i started doing jujitsu with a couple other uh, studs that i work with because i want to be able to better myself and in a situation where it's life or death or um, control tactics. I want to be able to utilize those because, um, with the politics of today, obviously that everyone knows there's no more fist fights. Um, there's cameras everywhere. There's audio recording everywhere. We're moving away from throwing punches, strikes, shit like that. Um, if you can utilize control tactics, control tactics, it looks a hell of a lot better on camera, looks better in a courtroom. Um, and so I started going to jiu-jitsu to better myself so that in a scenario where that, you know, I need to use some sort of force or control tactics, I can do that, which I have um, multiple times. Um, jiu-jitsu, obviously, you got like your straight arm bars and your chokes and stuff. That's stuff I'm not going to be utilizing in a corrections or law enforcement environment at all um, because it's deadly force and I would have to justify deadly force which I'm gonna be honest with you the only reason that would need to happen is if I'm getting my shit beat by like multiple inmates yeah, yeah I'm probably gonna use fucking deadly force but as far as everything else that goes uh, with jujitsu I I have utilized um, so like my go-to thing is um, which one of them isn't jujitsu related, but you got a guy who's being resistive. You're going to start to try to put him in handcuffs because he's starting to get very erotic, right? Uh, I'll give him a, I'll give him a knee strike to his uh, common peroneal, which is right, right uh, on the side of the thigh there. And what that does is it puts all of their attention down there, right? So if you ever try to get someone in handcuffs, 
it's very hard if I'm like if you're trying to get if you and two people were trying to get me in handcuffs and you didn't use any sort of strikes or distraction methods to get my hands behind my back, it's not gonna be easy. Right. So that knee strike goes into their knee, it focuses it all they pay attention pay attention to is how bad that fucking hurts right there on the side of their leg. What that does then it completely just relaxes their arm a hundred percent. It's crazy. I mean, it's you'll have a big ass dude. We were fighting a dude who was six eight, three hundred and forty pounds. I mean, a lot bigger than me. I'm six three, two forty. I mean, I'm a decent. I'm a I'm a pretty decently big guy. I would like to think a lot bigger than me. And and I folded this dude with one knee strike. I mean, I was able to get his hands behind his back. And sometimes what you can do from there is put them in a straight arm bar, which is something that you sometimes use in jujitsu as well. And you just bring them all the way down. Once they're on the ground, it's over. Um, other than that, though, in jujitsu wise, um, basically just control tactics, you know, with their arms and legs, um, with people kicking their legs. Um, there's a lot of things I've utilized that I just can't think of right off the bat. Um, but jujitsu is just it helps more than anything with a confidence level because there's a lot of people that lack confidence uh, that I work with because they they haven't had the training, they haven't had the repetitions, and so it's a lot easier for me to come in and big dick things because I have the confidence and that's a huge thing back there. Corrections has always had this um, kind of stigma around it that. Oh, they don't need to be as physically fit. They don't need to, you know. It, it's it's more acceptable to be overweight back there, in corrections. Um, and you'll notice that across the board. Um, obviously, I'm a huge uh, health chunky. Um, I'm always taking care of myself. Besides my fucking bad nicotine problem, that's one of the things I picked up from corrections. <laughs> but, um. You know, it's always said that, you know, on the road, like road patrol, you need to be able to handle yourself, handle your own, which you do because backup can be 15, 20 minutes away compared to 30 seconds. But I would say without a doubt that corrections is just as dangerous, if not more. In the past year at our department, we have had two severe assaults on staff, both sending both deputies to the hospital and this most recent one. Um, was a female, um, this shitbag who's in there for homicide. Um, and this was in, uh, this was in our old place before we moved to the, moved to the new jail. And, uh, he set his door, which means he propped his door with, put a bunch of stuff in there, like in the locking, uh, mechanism. So it says it was locked on the control panel, but it wasn't. He attacked her, um, and sent her to the hospital, just a total shitbag, in there for homicide, been there for over two years, um, gonna be going on three years. So like just in the past two years, in the uh, two severe assaults on staff, um, sending both of them to the hospital. Um, and we're only lucky that they didn't have any shanks or anything else that they were using. Luckily they were just using, you know, their fists, their arms, you know, stuff like that to, um, to assault staff but I mean as you can imagine I mean they make shanks out of everything back there so if they would have actually been utilizing 
their tools, it could have been a lot worse. So, yeah, I that was actually going to be related to the next thing I was going to bring up because I've I've seen in you know like Breaking Bad and all these other shows where they just have a shank, they just make this, they just make that, and it's it's almost like a Minecraft level mm-hmm. where they somehow they just get it. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some methods where they like pass shanks to each other or you know they someone figured out like oh i can take this part off my toilet and suddenly you know it's a small little dagger or things like that so what i've uh, a phrase um that i've always heard and i'll tell to people who don't know a lot about corrections is if these motherfuckers use their intelligence and their creativity to do good in the world we'd all be out of fucking jobs um, because the stuff that I see them make back there. Um, and I'll get to the shank part in just a second, but one of the uh, kind of the coolest things I saw was, uh, so they get commissary weekly, which is stuff they can order from online. Um, so like they can order underwear, snacks, candy, all that kind of stuff um, from a commissary list weekly. And I seen them make um, dice out of uh not gobstoppers what's it called like hard candy they'll like hard round candy they'll make dice and they'll like grind each side down and then do little like dots in them um and that's just one of the cool ones i've seen um but yeah as far as the shanks go um they don't really pass them a whole lot as far as like into other housing units um because every time an inmate goes into a housing unit mandatory we pat them down or if they're leaving we pat them down um and if you do a good fucking pat down you're gonna catch that shit um that's shit starts getting passed when deputies start to not do their jobs the way they should and start being lazy not checking the shoes or the crocs not checking the socks um when i do a pat down i'm all up in their fucking junk like i mean all the way up the leg all the way bottom of their foot in between their toes all around their waist, middle of their back, all that shit. Um, but it still happens, and it was a big issue in the old uh, in the old jail before he moved to the new one because uh, it was falling apart. It was from the '60s. I mean, it was old. I mean, it, tile was coming up, so all they have to do is, um, you know, do some, you know, break up some tile, um, and there you go. You got a little shank. But the most impressive one I've seen was with these old uh, jail. It's kind of like the strike plates of the doors in each cell. Um, it was a cell that wasn't getting used um, because, like, the toilet was broken. But certain people, on you know, that were working that housing unit would still pop the doors because there's, like, a break-all-doors um, feature on that control panel. So all the doors would unlock. But when people were doing inspections, they would never check the empty cells to see that, oh, the fucking whole strike plate's missing. Anyways, it it resulted in two shanks because the strike plate's about 12 to 14 inches long, probably only two inches wide, but probably every bit of a quarter inch thick, if not more, of like solid steel or metal, some sort of metal. And they bent it in half and then, you know, sharpen the two. So now you have two shanks and they sharpen both of them. And then they'll like wrap around uh, like a cloth 
you know, as like a handle. And I mean, you had a good seven, seven inch shank. Um, I mean, that was impressive as shit. I'll show you a picture here in a sec. Um, that was probably the most impressive one I've seen. And I mean, it could, it, it would have been so easy to kill someone with that. It wouldn't have even been like, oh, I got stabbed with a shank. No, like if you got hit with that, like you're going to the hospital in a body bag. It would like cut into your body basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huge shank. Um, I've seen piece like a one piece of a um what's it called like the gl on glasses what's this part called uh, the the like lagger of the yeah lagger. like the arm of the glasses yeah. i've seen them use that um what else have i seen uh i've seen them use it out of a like there's some really good ones out of the t uh, that they make out of the tile um and they and these guys are all pussies. They never use them. They'll never use them because I mean, if they do, it's it's criminal. Um, and you know they're already facing their charges. And these guys are supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But you know they're still trying. They're still trying to fight their charges. So they really don't want to attack up another one. They use it more as an additional. Um, it's like a. They use it to threat threaten people. Like hey, dude. You got your commissary this week. Listen, I'm going to need your commissary. Like, I'm going to need you to pay me this or else I got this shank here. Yeah, you know what I mean? And you get these scared fucking dudes that will come in there and they'll be like, oh, okay. You know, here you go. Have all my commissary. Have my breakfast tray. Have this. Have that. But just because they got a shank. And we're not going to charge them criminally for a shank. It just, unless it's really, really impressive. Like, I believe the one I was talking about with the... Um, with the strike plate on the door on the cell door, I believe we did charge them criminally for that, because um, like aiding or or bringing in a or manufacturing of a weapon inside of a um, secured facility, um, but usually we don't, so they don't really. They'll just do it anyways. Those guys that are found with those shanks will still get reclassified to um, a maximum security inmate. Um, where they have to do 60 days as a maximum security inmate. So they don't want to get caught. So that's why a lot of times they'll put them in the day rooms because then you can't put it on anyone. If you find the shank, oh, uh, well, can we really put it on anyone? No, because there's 30 motherfuckers in here. No one's going to fess up to it. Um, so, yeah, that's my experience with shanks as far as the jail goes. But Yeah, that's intense. <laughs> like, like, you kind of think, like, why not use that ability to like build a house or like do some type of trade work versus making like a little sword in prison? <laughs> I have have you actually experienced like like when it comes to the people in the gang mm. lifestyle? Because there's obviously I, I think I looked this up a little while ago. It's just like simple Google, Wikipedia, when I look a lot of stuff up my show and just when i'm bored sitting around but i think like there's mostly bloods and crips in like the detroit area some of the michigan area but what's what's basically a telltale sign that they're gonna be initiated into a gang mm -hmm. like because i've heard of the like do tattoos on each other because mm -hmm. we're like brothers type of thing like i've heard of that type of deal but is there any way to like catch on and realize like 
he is joining the Bloods, which is going to get that Crip over there to probably try and kill him so he can, you know, back and forth. and Because mm-hmm. I've seen some people with gang tattoos in my trips to, like, Chicago, over college, and I've seen a couple in prison ministry, too, where they just have, like, I am a Crip, like, basically on their face, essentially. Like, how easy is it to spot and, like, stop, like, gang war murders from happening? Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to spot, um, and one thing I'll say right off the bat is I didn't realize how bad the Lansing area was. It is really bad. Um, the gang issue that we have in the jail is horrible. I mean, that's our biggest issue, um, and it's like that out on the streets, um, talking with a lot of guys that are out on road patrol. Um, so our biggest, probably our biggest gang that we deal with uh, in the jail is gangster disciples, um, actually, and black gangster disciples, which is an all black gang. Um, you have, we just call them GDs for short. Are they, are they, are they together or each other? They're not against each other. They're like affiliates. Um, they're not gonna, they're not gonna kill each other in a dorm or get in a huge fight. Um, but GDs, and you got your vice lords, and then you have, we do have bloods. We don't really have any crips back there. And then you have your trashy, white trash motorcycle gangs, uh, the Diamondbacks. Those are pretty, yeah. We got some of those guys in there. Um, but I would say the big ones is bloods um, and GDs have the most kind of clash. Um, and there's so many fucking gangs. I, I... I've read through um, books, you know, and like PowerPoints that were given um, through our department to try to like learn them a little more. Um, there's so many different markings that mean so many different things, but some big ones you can be looking out for, excuse me, is like a six point star. Um, that's a clear indicator um, of a gangster disciple. There's um, like pitchforks. Um, upwards, like facing upwards or facing downwards, um, Playboy Bunny with one ear down. Um, those are like the people's, um, like the people's common or something like that. There's a lot of different gangs back there, but the biggest issues we have are with the Bloods and the GDs. Um, they're always getting into fights and shit. And they know because they have the markings. So as soon as they come in and, you know, they start throwing up their fucking gang signs to their boys. And, um, I mean, all you have to do is just go watch it for 15 minutes. And, you know, they they all have nicknames for each other, which you can use um, as, like, identifying what their rank is in a gang, right? So you have your OGs, you have your OOGs, then you have, like, your... um, your hitmen, like your soldiers, you have your um, like full-on leader, leader of that gang, um, which we have a few of those. Um, the soldiers do like the dirty work. Um, the hitman is like the one that calls the hits because as the leader, you don't want to be caught calling the shots, right? You just want to be low-key, laid back. And the leaders are always the guys we have the least issues with. They're respectful to us. That's scary. Because they know, and they know that we know that they're running the shit. But we can't, you know, we can't put it on them, right? Because all they do is go up to the boy and be like, hey, 
see them over there okay yeah take care of them or you know they'll be like hey i'm gonna need all your breakfast trays the whole time you're staying here if you don't we gonna fuck you up like straight up just like that like not playing around but it's it's weird it's like the the top dogs no issues chill as fuck never any issues with them respectful to us um so we're respectful back the issues we have are the issues with the soldiers you know the guys that are doing the dirty work getting in the fights jumping people in their cells um and shit like that so that's my kind of experience with gangs but yeah so there's there's one other tattoo i think this is probably a lot higher level than just simply like corrections or just simply like a prison even maybe a maximum or high security prison but so i was on a plane coming back from colorado and i met this guy who was like he was he was really really huge he's probably like three times your size i don't even know how he even existed like he was so big but i started like a normal conversation with the guy and i ended up like asking him what a tattoo on his head meant because like i had nothing else to say in the conversation he was like dumbing down and whatnot and he didn't want to like discuss what the tattoo meant and it was basically like a hand woven basket and it had skulls on the top and they were like you know falling out the other side so i kind of assumed like maybe he's catholic maybe it's like a catholic thing or something like that because it's kind of from that history and i looked it up and i made sure he didn't see that i was looking it up because he seemed like a rough guy mm -hmm. and the my phone literally said it was a russian mafia tattoo and I was so freaked out, like, and he was on the phone, like, the whole time while I was doing that, so I, like, almost thought he saw me, and I, I was just flipping out about it, but, like, is there, is there any other tattoos in prison that don't really look like they're affiliated with anything, but they're, like, secretly, like, slowly becoming something, like, historically? Because I know there's a couple of things when it comes to uh, the... I can't remember the 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 racist one the oh like the Nazi gang basically uh something brothers yeah the Aryan Brotherhood Aryan Brotherhood yeah. like like those guys they have a lot of tattoos mm -hmm. that don't really look like much of anything and then they like just, just look like racist white trash yeah they just look like some weird thing and then they'll have like a flat out swastika on their side of their yep. head yeah but like is there any is there anything like that particularly where it's kind of like the playboy tattoo where it's like it's really easy to miss right if, if you, you don't know what like, you're looking yeah, if for. you're if you don't know what you're looking for yeah uh one big one i've seen with a lot of bloods is a chicago bulls like the red bull like you think like oh they must be a bulls fan they must be from uh you know chicago whatever you know that's where they grew up no that's a dead indicator that they are uh part of a bloods gang you know whether if it's like a local bloods gang or like the bloods um that's one that i've seen obviously the playboy bunny so the playboy bunny if the ears are straight up that is means like it doesn't even necessarily mean that you're gang related it just means like you're a lover boy right so like oh you get good you know you get with the women and stuff like that if the ears down uh, if one ears down that usually is a gang indicator um, and that's easy to miss because like why would you think that is you know someone who doesn't know anything about that same thing with the Chicago Bulls head like oh they must be a Chicago Bulls fan or something like that no nah, no nah, they probably they probably caught they probably have a couple bodies on their belt 
and and, wow. and all in all, that probably is what it means because a lot of these gangs, I mean, how many homicides do we have in Lansing? We have so many. I mean, at least uh, at least a few a week in Lansing, um, and a lot of them go. You know, uh, there's no conclusion as to what happened. We don't. Nobody knows who did it, um, and the gang violence is it's. Now, I would I would go out to say ninety nine point nine percent of it is ends up being gang violence. Um, you know, was it a few months back there was a shots fired on MSU's campus, um, that ended up being gang related. Um, the dude who was running through the Meyer parking lot up in East Lansing that East Lansing shot, um, that he's uh he's part of a gang. Um, and he's in RGL right now. Um, trying to think who else, like what other stuff that's as far as I, as far as I know, I just know the gang problem in Lansing is really bad. Um, it's like all the people they migrate from Flint, Jackson, Kalamazoo, they all kind of migrate up towards Lansing. Cause it's like a kind of like a central common ground, if you will. It's close to Flint. It's close to Jackson. Um, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of in the middle. So that's kind of where they all seem to, so yeah, there's multiple homicides a week that go unturned, you know, what even happened, who did it? Because, you know, they're starting to get smart. They're using gloves. They're using, they're using guns with no serial number. You know, they'll scratch the serial number off, call it a heater. Um, so it's not traced back to anyone because you can't tell what the fuck gun it is. You can't tell what gun it is. Like, you don't know, you don't know, you don't have the serial number. Um, and if you don't got any fingerprints to go off of, um, then, you know, as far as that goes, the case is, is completely cold. You don't have anything to go off. So a lot of these guys back there, they're in there for, for stuff like that. Uh, like, uh, you know, assault with intent to murders, um, sometimes homicide, you know, it's crazy. It's, a, uh, you see a lot of young kids that are, you know, coming out of these schools in Lansing, um, that are in there for homicide. Uh, you know, with half a million, million dollar bonds or no bonds at all. Um, I mean, kids that, you know, my little brother would have, you know, pl been playing football against. And they're out there same year they're in high school, senior in high school, and they're, you know, shooting kids in the back of the head, you know, what? just because they're part of a gang. Oh. Wow. Wait. Man. Cause your your younger brother's like thirteen now, fourteen. He's fourteen. Yeah, that's that's almost like the. It's almost like the gangs like all the way across the world where they like recruit basically children for like the terrorist type of things or mm -hmm. the. Hardcore. Types of gangs like I I actually had a, I actually had an ex coworker. I'm not sure if he's still working, there, but I worked at Myers back like the past year and a half and he seemed really rough. He came from Flint, mm. but his dad, his dad like flat out cooked meth mm. and, de and dealed with like opiates and stuff. That isn't that a big problem in corrections too? Like mm -hmm. how do people sneak drugs into prison? Like I've heard they're really gross, like up the butt type of thing or like, you know, they put it up themselves. They put it in a bag, mm -hmm. they hide it somewhere but is there a way that they do it that doesn't that most people like don't know particularly 
Um, yeah, so 99.9% of the stuff of the shit, you know, whether it's narcotics or some sort of weapon that comes into our jail is keistered, called a prison wallet. Um, and luckily, uh, we have good resources at our department. We have this awesome TSA style body scanner that we put them through every single fresh arrest or any court commitment that comes into our jail. They go through that no matter what. Um, so we, we catch a lot of that shit, but if you're complacent, it's easy to miss. You still have to look and do your job. Um, it's not going to pop out like a sore thumb. Uh, and so, yeah, there's been stuff that's gotten in there. Luckily, I would say our department, uh, compared to other facilities has been very good at, at not letting that stuff through the door cause we'll catch it. Um, but you know. There's been meth, weed, um, meth is, meth is just a big issue in our area alone. Um, that's probably like the biggest controlled stubs, substance that we have an issue with is methamphetamine. Um, just because it's so easy to make, like, like, you know, you said you watch Breaking Bad. I love Breaking Bad. One of my probably top five shows of all Great time. Show, yeah. I mean, dude, it's not that it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to cook meth and, if you can sell it for a pretty penny, I mean, why the hell not, right? You're already a felon. Your life's already, you know, kind of going down the wrong way. Um, so why not just cook some meth and make some make some good cash? So that's that's the biggest issue um, is meth. Weed we really don't have an issue with, but I would say probably seventy percent of our clientele that come in are meth users or meth dealers, and so they have a lot of connections on the outside. It's very easy for people to get stuff in there if we're not paying attention and doing our job and we're constantly being complacent. So complacency kills. Complacency lets drugs get into secure facilities. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like so so on a more on a more intense note, since you know you're kinda of laying down the what really happens, um have you have you, you know, seen someone, have you seen someone die in prison or, you know, someone attack someone else and boom, that guy's gone. We've got to restrain this dude or have you, how often do you witness like a gang violence of, all right, take out that guy. Like, I don't care that there's these two huge troopers over there. Like, just take them out. Like how, how often does that happen? And did you actually how have you seen someone like actually die in prison yet and what 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 is it really like to you know after the fact like wow someone just died in front of me you know especially for other officers where it's like well I wasn't quick enough or I didn't notice it in time or just there wasn't enough people around at the time to you know like stop it from happening mm -hmm. so I haven't been um, a part of a in custody death, which I'm happy, um, because it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of stress involved because they treat every in custody death as a, well, they died, whether it was from natural causes or not. Um, how are, how is our department liable? Right? So after someone dies, there's this, 
uh, Detective Bureau does this investigation. Sometimes uh, the Michigan State Police will come in and do an investigation depending on the severity of it. Um, so we had a dude die and both of my buddies were involved with it. Um, it was in November. And he ended up dying from, I believe it was heart issues, but we have to do well-being checks or we call them cell checks every hour. Um, basically check out on every single body that we are watching at the time. All right. Making sure they're breathing. They're not hanging themselves. Um, you know, rise and rise and fall of the chest. That's what we're looking for. Right. Um, especially on nights cause I'm a night shifter. So majority of my shift they're sleeping. Um, so they were doing a well-being check or a cell check and they noticed this guy wasn't doing too hot. They went in there, checked on him, and they, he basically died in my buddy's arms while they were trying to, you know, get him to come out of consciousness. And they ended up doing CPR, um, AED, you know, Narcan, you know, all those life-saving measures for like 20-some minutes until the ambulance showed up um, and took him out, you know, with a deputy guarding him. And uh, he died later at the hospital, which we always say nobody dies in our jail because it's a liability, you know. So we, we're doing, we're pumping on their chest. It doesn't matter if they're fucking, for example, if they're six hours stone cold dead, you know, I can't even move their arm because they're, you know, rigor mortis is set in so bad. We're still doing compressions. We're still doing, you know, two breaths every 30 compressions until they're rolling out that fucking door. And then EMS is taken over because as soon as they're out of, out of our facility, we can say that we have done everything possible to uh, resuscitate that person. So, so I haven't been a part of it, but both, uh, you know, a lot of people that I work with have multiple times. Um, I've never witnessed, I've witnessed some pretty bad assaults and fights. I actually just had one two nights ago. I had to do a, um, report that usually when it's criminal reports, when people want to press charges, I got to fancy up my reports a little bit more, make it a little more presentable, you know, in the fact in, in case it goes to court. I mean, I'm like that with all my reports. Um, so I shouldn't even say that because I'm trying to type all my reports as well as I can, um, as thorough and as um, honest as I can, because, you know, in the, in the, in the fact that it does go to court. Um, and a lot of it is gang related. We have fights daily. Almost every day we have some sort of fight, whether it's gang related. This one was over a fucking phone. Um, this one was, this white guy came in, they're trying to make it an all black dorm. Um, it's all gangster disciples in there. All, every, you know, all of them. Um, and this guy was like, went to go use the phone. This GD came up to him, confronted him. He's like, nah, dude, like you ain't using the phone. These are our phones. It's called running the phones. No, you're not talking to your fucking family. You're not talking to your kids. These phones are for us. If you got a problem with that, we can beat your ass. Well, that's, that's what happened. So he was just trying to get in contact with, you know, his loved ones or whatever. No, not on their watch. No, they beat his ass. So, but other than that, I haven't, I haven't witnessed any, I've witnessed some pretty bad assaults. They'll use, uh, they'll put soap in socks. Right. So then they have this kind of like mm. really, really hard baton. Um, I've seen some dude get pretty, pretty fucked up on that. Uh, he had multiple people come in his cell 
just while he was sleeping to just jump the shit out of him. I mean, just he came out and his whole face was just swollen. I couldn't even see his eyes because his face was so swollen from them just beating the piss out of him with the sopping, uh, the socking, socking. So is what wow. we call him. So that's ins- That's insane. Like I didn't, I didn't know phones were like a big thing for them to guard, but it does make sense. Mm-hmm. Like how do you, how do you guys like deal with that then? Like is it just something in their territory where it's like, uh, this is gonna be really really annoying, or is there like some type of technique where it's like, okay guys, break it up, break away. Like we are, we're gonna put you in solitary, or we're gonna, like, is there some measure or ability to just like stop that? Cause, cause even in my like ministry experience with like kids that, uh that are like at risk you know like they don't they don't have enough food or like they don't have enough articles that they let that they have to themselves like i've seen kids like get into a fight because you know they someone stole their bouncy ball or whatnot and they're like fighting over that but it's probably a lot more or more less intense than you know, like five dudes beating a dude with soap because he wanted to use the phone but is there a way to stop that or do anything like to like help that uh you can't there's not a whole lot you can do um because we have 180 dudes to watch roughly per housing unit it's and there's two phones in every dorm we're in charge of like six to seven dorms um you can call them pods we call them dorms that's just how we call them um it's really hard to really say like hey guys you guys need to get off the phone and let them get a shot that's not going to happen it'll never happen in a corrections setting um the only way possible that they can guaranteed get phone time is if they go to protective custody then they get but it's 23 and one so you're in your cell 23 hours a day you get your one hour of rotation so you know and that has to we have to have a good reason to put them in protective custody we're not going to put them in protective custody because they can't get phone time. That's just one of those things where, well, don't go to jail. Okay. You're going to deal with it. Like just don't go to jail and you won't have to deal with it. So the whole phones thing, not really. I mean, if you can tell for sure that these guys are running the phones, but the problem is there's so many of them. They're all going to be like, well, we've all been getting turns. Yeah. I mean, it's true. They have, but these, you know, five poor white guys that came in there, they're not getting any phone time because they're irrelevant, you know? They're not one of the boys. Um, so they're not going to get phone time, phone privileges, you know, time for visits, anything like that. Hey, uh, you mind if I got a guy schedule a visit? No, we're, th- those are our times for visits. So uh, same thing with the commissary. Just to even live in their dorm, they'll just threaten them with beating their ass unless they give them honey buns, you know, um, little Debbie snacks, stuff like that. They're, it's, it's basically just blackmailing them just, just so they can stay intact in their dorm. If you go in there and you don't press the issue, you'll be fine. But as soon as you start trying to get on their phones, on their kiosks, use the tablets, you're going to get your ass beat. Um, you'll get talked to one time. Be like, hey, this is how we run things in here. Um, 
if you don't want your ass beat, just uh, just follow what we say, and that'll be your one you know talking warning. And then uh, from there, um, if you try to you know up them on it, they'll they'll just kick your ass, and then you'll get sent to another place, and it'll be the same thing over and over. Just don't go to jail. Is is there what what's kind of the rules wrapped around? You know, like all the all the people in the prison like going to beat each other's asses, so to speak. Like, cause I saw something, uh, another podcast show that it said like, here's the rules that you do in jail if you don't want someone to beat you up. Like something about, you know, like don't sit at the same table as like an all black table or like a certain specific gang table or like don't ask your inmate what they're in for or like things like that is is there like a set list of do not bring this up Mm -hmm. if you don't want five people attacking you at once uh yeah don't ask someone what they're in for um first off they're gonna fucking lie to you um it's funny there's a lot of hard dudes in there who try to act hard they're part of gangs they're in there for fucking csc first degrees um which is penetration you know age under the age of i believe it's 15 so what? you got a bunch of chomos in there that try to act this hard, but they're, you know, you know, they're telling their boys they're in there for homicide or, um, you know, armed robbery or assault with intent, um, shit like that. But you still don't ask that, um, because they're going to lie to you and then they're going to, then they're going to create the issue with, Hey, he's going to go tell all of his boys, Hey, this motherfucker's all up in my case. He's being a bug on my case. And they're going to take care of them. So that's one thing you don't ask. Um, I haven't seen like the sitting at the tables really being an issue. Um, Also, that's me being a night shifter. The only time they come out to feed is one time. It's at five o'clock in the morning. And um, no one's really in the mood to fight at that hour um, or create any issues. Although I've seen it happen. Um, just from my experience, I haven't seen it happen. So I would say the biggest thing is you, you don't go around asking people what they're in for. It's, it's not how you make friends back there. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, with, yeah, I, I feel like there is like a, a big increase, especially in, uh, instances of people having like underage sex and getting caught and things like that i have seen a number of instances even at like mason school Mm -hmm. on the news where it's like hey this this professor was doing this and that Mm -hmm. like except i don't think he was a part of a gang but this this is probably a it's probably a really intense question too but i guess what's the worst what's the worst thing that an inmate has done that has ever ended up in corrections because i know some people they'll they'll you know they're they'll do something and boom they're in maximum security mm-hmm. where they'll like never come out again but like what's what's the most insane insidious or like worst thing that i guess you've come across because there probably has to be some like really like how can you possibly do that mm-hmm. type of crimes uh i've seen so you got a lot of guys in there for homicide, um, which is obviously murder. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. 
pretty bad. Uh, it's not not a good thing. For me though, more than murder, um, I can't stand it when people fuck with little kids. Um, your chomos, I listen. They give us the least problems because most of the time, I'm sorry, but the stereotypes very true. It's old creepy white guys. It's. 90% of the time, it is old, creepy white guys that are in there for your CSC charges, with the exception of a few. Um, and to me, that just disgusts me, because they're, like, I believe it's first CSC first degree has to be under the age of 13 penetration. So, I mean, for me, ugh, just, though, though, that's a scum of the earth. Um, you also do have a couple guys that are in there for multiple homicides. I know one dude shot, shot this mother while she was trying to protect her daughter when he invaded their home. She was literally covering her daughter up with her body, and he shot through both of them multiple times. Just, I mean, just a piece of shit. Um, a lot of bad dudes back there, but for me, I'd say the chomos are probably, that just disgusts me the most. Um, as far as stuff I've seen that's happened back there, shit. I'm so used to it now. So like when I see someone drawing with their feces on their cell window, it's just like, huh, whatever. It's just kind of another day with a, with a crazy motherfucker. Um, you've had feces and urine thrown at me. Um, that's probably the craziest I've seen happen because it really pissed me off. I mean, I got a cup of feces and urine, like in a, like a concoction in a cup thrown at us um doing fucking med pass like dude i'm just trying to get you your meds to stop you on your bullshit and you're you're, you're throwing your so like people like that like i said we'll take them out throw them in the wrap um but as far as people i've seen in there for charges probably csc it was this guy he was actually an old lug nuts mascot get this that is one of the creepiest things i've ever so what? Lansing Lugnuts mascot. And I probably have pictures of him because he was a mascot for like 11 years. So I probably have pictures of him as a little kid. You know, me hugging or holding on to this, you know, big Lugnuts mascot. And he's probably in there, you know, getting a chubby because I'm holding on to him. Oh. And uh, yeah, he was he was bribing little kids for sex. Uh, we have that, um, that referee, Gerald, um, I forget his name referee in the area that um they posted it on their facebook the sheriff's office did super big ongoing investigation i think there's like multiple allegations of uh csc in there um that's that's a pretty nasty one too you know paying kids bribing kids to come back to his place and you know boning them or whatever all little kids it's that stuff, that's what pisses me off is the chomos for me the most, honestly. I kind of I kind of tend to take a Matt Walsh perspective on that. Like, he's a uh, conservative commentator for the Daily Wire, but he basically says, like, you know, those guys, just, they shouldn't see the light of day. Wood chipper. Wood chipper. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's what I think. Like. Yeah. Plus, with reform and stuff, at least from, like, a lot of leftist perspectives, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So... Well, the fact that they're trying to make it, like, acceptable 
to prey on little kids. Yeah. They're they're saying, what do they call it? Minor attracted person. I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah, that's complete. That's fucking bullshit. That's complete garbage. That is, I have zero tolerance for that. Minor attracted person. No, you're a fucking pedophile is what you are. And you like preying on the innocence of little kids. No, that's, and I can't believe that people are trying to make that a thing now. Um, in schools nowadays, no, we're not going to call them pedophiles. We're going to call them MIPS. You know, they're trying to make it sound like it's a, not a disease. That's the wrong word. Um, like an attraction phase, like, okay, I'm straight. You're gay. You're bi. You're pansexual. Oh, he's a MIP. No. Like, no, you should be in prison forever is what you No, yeah. People that prey on the innocent little kids don't deserve a spot here in the world. That's yeah. my opinion. And I, and I know a lot of people that would back me on that. Yeah, definitely. Including myself. Yeah. So. Well, that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it and you want to be on the show, just simply contact me on Facebook or Instagram under the Cult Exclusive Podcast for the Anonymous Hour. Thanks for listening, and a big thank you to our anonymous guest from Corrections. Talk to you tomorrow.